Our scripture reading basically today begins with chapter 8 of the book of Deuteronomy. Title of the message is Lest We Forget. Basically that's taken from verses 8. No, I believe it's verses 12 and 14. Verses 12 and 14. Deuteronomy chapter 8. By the way, Deuteronomy means second law. Deutero means two, and the nomi part means law. So it's a second presentation of the law of Moses. Put it with the other and you get a fuller picture. Anyway, chapter 8 of Deuteronomy. All the commandments which I command you this day, you shall observe to do so that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land which the Lord swore to your fathers. You see, things had already passed. They were ready to cross Jordan River. Forty years had pretty well gone by. Verse 2, And you shall remember all the way, all the road which the Lord your God led you these forty years in the desert to humble you and to test you, to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. And he humbled you, and he allowed you to hunger, and he fed you with manna, which you knew not, neither did your fathers know that he might make you to know that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God, of the Lord, man does live. Perhaps you recall that Jesus mentioned that, one of the responses to the temptations by Satan in Luke chapter 4. Your clothes did not become old upon you, Neither did your foot swell these forty years. You shall also consider in your heart that as a man chastens, disciplines his son, so the Lord your God disciplines you. Therefore, you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God to walk in his ways and to fear him because the Lord your God brings you into a good land a land of brooks, of water, of fountains and depths, which spring out of the valleys and the hills, a land of wheat and barley, and vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of oil, olive, and honey, a land wherein you shall eat bread without scarceness. You shall not lack anything in it, a land whose stones are iron, and out of whose hills you may dig brass. This verse, I think, is very important, verse 10. When you have eaten and are full, then you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land which he has given you. So he's saying after you get in there, conquer the land, and everything is going great, You're eating, you're full, you're enjoying the new houses, the new plants, the new situation. 
then you shall bless the Lord. <laughs> it's so easy in prosperity to get our eyes off of God and to think about other things. So he warns them. When you're in a good situation in the land, be sure to keep God's commands. Don't forget God. Watch out that you do not forget the Lord your God. There he says it. In not keeping his commands and his judgments and his statutes, which I command you this day. Lest when you have eaten and you're full and you have built goodly houses and dwelt in them, and when your herds and your flocks multiply, and your silver and your gold is multiplied, and all that you have is multiplied, then your heart be lifted up, and you forget the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt from the house of slavery, who led you through the great and terrible wilderness, wherein there were fiery snakes and scorpions in drought, where there was no water, who brought you out, out of the rock water, who fed you in the desert with manna, which your fathers did not know, that he might humble you and that he might prove you to do you good in the latter end. And you say in your heart, my power and my might has, my hand has gotten me all this wealth. But you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth, that he may establish his covenant, which he swore to your fathers as it is this day. And it shall be, if you do it all, forget the Lord your God. You see, we're to remember him. And walk after other gods, and serve them, and worship them. I testify against you this day, that you shall surely perish. As the nations which the Lord destroyed before your face, so you shall perish, because you would not be obedient to the voice of the Lord your God. I'd suggest you also add to that chapter 9, verses 7 through 12, and chapter 11, verse 16. What is it they might forget? What should they remember? They should remember God. They should not forbid, forget Jehovah God Almighty. That was the basic name that they knew him by at that time. As I pointed out, it's been further revealed as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. One God, but in, shall we say, three persons. So easy to forget God when everything is going well. When we have all that we want, it's hard to remember him because we get focused on the things, the material things which we own. Instead of thanking God for them, we focus on them. And we tend to congratulate ourselves 
that we, through our own strength and power and wisdom and hard work, have gained all these things. But as it points out in the passage, no. God gives you the abilities and the strength to get these things. He knew that this would be a great temptation when they went into the promised land. So he warned them ahead of time. Watch out that this doesn't happen. Remember the Lord your God. Another place that tells us strongly, even in far off places to remember God, is Jeremiah chapter 51, verse 50. Yes, they might forget God. They might forget his power. They might forget to be obedient to him. But what else might they forget that they should remember? They should remember that they were slaves in the land of Egypt. They were in bondage. And God rescued them out of that bondage. God put great punishments upon Pharaoh and the Egyptians. But God's people, the Israelites, were protected from those things. They should remember that after God rescued them from Egypt, they had to be in the desert. They'd been there like 40 years. How could they survive? They need to remember. God miraculously provided water. God miraculously provided manna, a bread-like substance, six out of seven days. Actually, seven days, because on the sixth day they were to save enough for the seventh day. God provided all these things. He protected them. He helped them. So when they come into the new land and everything is prosperous and things are going well, don't forget, he tells them, that you were once in bondage in Egypt. And it was my mighty hand that rescued you. Don't forget that I sustained you in the desert for 40 years in a miraculous way. One might add that once all this has happened and you've conquered the land, don't forget who it is that helped you do this, that helped you possess the land and have faith to do so. Yes, God is so great. They're to keep his commands. They're to believe in him. They're not to ever forget him. He gave them statutes. He gave them judgments. He gave them testimonies. And he gave them all the Old Testament law, including the Ten Commandments. We're all aware of the Ten Commandments, are we not? First one tells us, of course, we should remember the Lord, Jehovah God. We should trust in him. We should not go after idols and false gods. Tells us we shouldn't steal. We shouldn't take his name in vain. We should not commit immorality. We should not be covetous or greedy. It tells us to keep the Sabbath day. I'd like for us to stop and think about that for a moment. Fourth commandment, remember the Sabbath, keep it holy. Points out that on the Sabbath, God rested after he created everything and 
it says six days. That, of course, is something we need to understand because there are places in the Bible that a day may be more than 24 hours, but he could have done it that way if that's what he chose, of course. Also, connected with the fourth commandment about keeping the Sabbath was the command to remember that they were slaves. And so that's connected. God gave them rest from slavery. That's what Sabbath, by the way, means, rest. And so it reminds us of two things, God's day of rest and also the rest after is given once they are freed from bondage. Later on, they could think of the rest in the promised land, for it was a land that would give them rest. This brings up an issue. Once before, at least, I shared with you how it impacted me as a new Christian. I was 19, and I put my faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. A few years have gone by since then. I thought God wanted me to be a missionary, and it turned out I did do some missionary work with Mexican braceros, workers legally brought over into our country. But I also early thought about being a missionary overseas. That's what I was really thinking about. And I was thinking I ought to be a doctor. You see, I had studied, finished junior college in engineering and had matriculated to Cal in that field to be a petroleum engineer. But then I became a Christian and I believe God wanted me to be a missionary. So, okay, be a missionary. I better talk with a doctor if I'm going to be a medical missionary. So I looked up a doctor in a nearby town, and turns out we didn't talk much about doctoring, but we, he was telling me I should be keeping the Old Testament Sabbath day, seventh day, basically Saturday. Actually, it's Friday night sundown to Saturday night sundown. That's the, the Sabbath. And he had some logical reasons, showed me a scripture or two. And so for several months, I tried to keep the Sabbath day, the Old Testament Sabbath. Eventually, God showed me this has been fulfilled. In fact, I would not be here today if I'd have still hung on to that, I'm sure. There are people today who therefore, I was a Seventh-day Baptist for a few months. Part of that time questioned whether that was necessary to keep that way, the Sabbath. So I even tried to teach some others in the boarding house where I went to at Berkeley at one point had a little Bible study and was trying to tell them about that, though I think I had some questions as I was doing so. So there are Seventh-day people, Seventh-day Baptists and others, that very strictly 
keep the Old Testament Sabbath day, the fourth commandment of the ten. But most Christians don't do that. Many of them instead, they've substituted the Lord's Day, Sunday. And I pretty well kind of, once I gave up the Sabbath, did that. I kind of switched to keeping Sunday. So even D.L. Moody, the great evangelist of last century, he so strongly believed that he didn't even think you should read a newspaper on Sunday. And so many Christians have substituted the Lord's Day, the day on which Christ rose from the dead, for the Old Testament Sabbath day, Saturday. But you know there's a third option. What might that be? Well, let's look over here in the book of Romans, chapter 14, verses 5 and 6. In this 14th chapter of Romans, Paul deals with this issue of the Old Testament Sabbath day. He also deals with, and primarily so, the question of vegetarianism, whether you can eat meat or not. Back then, there were those who thought they could eat meat and those who thought that they shouldn't be eating meat. Verses 5 and 6 say this, one man esteems or considers one day above another day. Another considers every day, every day alike. So what does he say is right? He says, let every man, every person be fully persuaded in his own mind. So what's he really saying here? Is he saying the Old Testament Sabbath needs to be kept literally? Is he saying that we should switch it to Sunday, the day on which Christ was raised? Or does he offer a third option? Well, read it carefully. Let every man be fully persuaded in his own mind. So he's saying both of those are okay. But he's also saying that every day basically, is the same, every day alike. I came to that position to believe that we are no longer required to keep the Old Testament Sabbath day, nor are we required to keep the Lord's Day in the Old Testament Sabbath day manner, but instead, every day, is a day to be God's day. Every day we should walk with Christ and live for him. And so what he's telling us in this chapter, and this I think is kind of the bottom line, don't let a difference in your opinion, keeping this day or that day or keeping every day for Jesus or eating meat or not eating meat, and that has some subdivision, don't let any of that ruin your Christian fellowship. That's important. If someone feels he or she should keep the Old Testament Sabbath, that's between he or she and God. If someone, on the other hand, feels legalistically we need to keep the Lord's Day, can't go fishing, can't do anything, 
perhaps can't even read a newspaper. If a person feels that way, that's okay. We have our own consciences. But then there's the freedom of being able to worship and serve God and live with Jesus every day. <laughs> but the bottom line again is what? Don't let this kind of thing ruin your Christian fellowship. Whether you're in the first case, the second case, or the third option, we're all one in Jesus. That's so important. But let me carry it a step further here. There are a lot of verses in the New Testament, several, dealing with this very issue. One of the things that they teach is you can't build an argument from silence. You study the New Testament and you don't really find any command for Christians to keep the Sabbath. If you don't believe that, I suggest you read the New Testament with that in mind. Does it tell us with the freedom we have as Christians that we should have to keep the Old Testament Jewish Sabbath? Apparently the early church, which was basically a Jewish church, did that. But we find all these letters that the apostle inspiredly wrote to the Christians, and we don't find that at all. In fact, we find a very, very interesting thing in the book of Hebrews, chapter 4. It tells us that there remains a Sabbath-keeping to the people of God. But what kind of Sabbath keeping? Let's go there. Hebrews chapter four, beginning in verse nine. Therefore there remains a rest, a Sabbath keeping to the people of God, because he who has entered into his rest, he has also ceased from his own works as God did from his. Now we have entered into his rest it's pictured by going into the land of Canaan, freedom from bondage and going into the land of Canaan. We've entered into that rest by trusting in Jesus. And so in that sense, yes, we do keep the Sabbath. We do keep a time of rest. We rest in the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ. So we are keeping the Sabbath in that way. He's our rest, he's our Sabbath. We trust in him. It's not our merit, it's his. It's not our punishment of being punished, but it, he took our, the sentence of sin upon himself. And so we find a glorious freedom here. Christ is our Sabbath. We rest in him and his finished work. We are forgiven. We are his people. We may live in fellowship with him every day. Remember it says in Mark 2 that he said, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. One of the letters that Paul wrote was to the Colossians. Here's what he said in chapter 2, verses 16 and 17. Now, if they were to keep the Old Testament Sabbath, can you imagine him writing this? What did he write? Let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink, or in respect of a holy day, or of the new moon, or of the Sabbath days. 
He says, don't let anybody judge you in that respect, which are a shadow of things to come. Uh, just prefigures it. It's a symbol. But the body is of Christ. The reality is Jesus. So he says, don't let anybody judge you concerning these Sabbath day issues, as well as other things. The reality is Jesus. And that again points to him. He is our rest. Remember, he invited all who labor and are heavy laden to come to him, take his yoke upon us. He would give us rest. Now, if you go back to the book of Galatians, we find a somewhat similar thing. Chapter 4, beginning in verse 10. Again, if they had to keep the Old Testament Sabbath, would he have written this to people who were not used to doing that, Gentile Christians? He said, you observe days and months and times and years. I'm afraid of you, lest I have bestowed on you labor in vain. So basically saying, if you're legalistically involved with this kind of thing, then my work has been in vain. In other words, there's a freedom from these things. And so again, read the whole New Testament, particularly the letters to Gentile churches, and you'll find there's no command to keep the Old Testament Sabbath day, and not even a command to keep the Lord's day. Now there is a practical thing. It's good for us physically and mentally and spiritually to have a time with God every week. It seems like we're kind of constituting the way you've got to have some times of rest. In fact, you remember in Mark, he told the disciples to come apart and rest a while in a solitary place. God knows we need rest physically and spiritually. And so it's a good thing in a non-legalistic way to take time out for God. I want to share these things. I think they're important to know. I don't want to discourage you in any way for if you have a conscience about these things to do differently because we need to go by our consciences. But it took a lot, I believe, God's help to free me from the legalism of this bondage. In fact, in that very book, Galatians, again, in fact, in that very chapter where it talks about days, the passage that most helped me, I believe, come out of legalistically keeping Saturday begins in verse 21. I'm not going to take the time to read it, but I'd encourage you to read that at home. This was, I'd say, of all the passages of Scripture to begin with, the basic one that freed me from Old Testament Sabbath-keeping in a literal sense. The rest of the chapter and perhaps the first verse of the next chapter. Having said all this, <clears throat> lest we forget lest we forget God, lest we forget the commands of God. I was impressed the other day with another passage that had influenced me strongly at one point when I was struggling with this issue. It's found in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, 
And in that chapter, toward the beginning, it speaks of God having made us able or capable ministers of the New Testament. I pointed out before how in Jeremiah, it's prophesied that another testament, another covenant would be given to them beyond the Mosaic covenant. And you remember at the Last Supper, Jesus said, this is New Testament in my blood. And so we are under the New Testament, no longer the Old. As I have shared before, the Old Testament is fulfilled and superseded by this New Testament that Jesus inaugurated. Then looking at all these things, what about us as Christian people? We are clothed in the righteousness of the Lord Jesus. He never sinned. He took our sin upon himself. He was punished in our place. When we trust in him, we have already fulfilled this issue of a sentence on sin. He took our hell for us. He did that. It was God's plan that he do so. Thank God for that. But not only that, he offers us his righteousness. He had never sinned. We find this clearly expressed in the Bible, especially the New Testament. And so he qualified to die for the sins of the world. And when we trust in him, when we repent of our sins and put our faith in Jesus, guess what happens? His righteousness is transferred to us. Our sin is transferred to him. That's a bargain, isn't it? <laughs> he did that for us because he loves us. He loves us so very, very much. Lest we forget as Christians, what might we forget? We might forget all these things. We might forget about God and concentrate on material things. Have you ever stopped to think in a sense we have many servants and slaves working for us every day. How can I say that? Did you drink some water today? Have you, do you use water in other ways to wash clothes and hands and what have you? Of course you do. Well, in the old days, often you'd have to send a servant out to get that at the river or from a well or whatever. Now you just turn on a faucet and there it is. And what about washing? We probably all have washing machines. It's like a servant. Think of all the labor and all the work it saves us. And how about a stove? And how about a refrigerator? And we even have freezers. What about cars? They used to have horses and other things for transportation. I'd have had a bit of a problem if I had to hitch up the horse and buggy this morning and come from Placerville down to Sacramento and then back in the same way. When you think of this, God has just abundantly blessed us. We're all like rich people. And besides that, we may have money and investments and houses and clothes and whatever. Lest we forget, God, the giver, he gave us all these good things. 
He is our rest. He calls us into that rest. He calls us into daily fellowship with him. Now, having said that, what about Philippians chapter 3, where it says, forgetting the things that are behind? What kind of things are we to forget? We've talked about what we need to remember. Well, you see, in that chapter, he talked about how he had been a persecutor of the church, how he'd killed a lot of people, and then how he'd become a Christian. He could forget all those bad things. They were under the blood of Christ. They've been taken care of. But after he says, forgetting the things that are past, he says, reaching forth unto the things that are ahead. Philippians 3, 13 and 14. So we're to keep our eye on the mark, on the finish tape. We're to run to win, as it indicates in Corinthians. We're to forget the guilt. We're to forget the things that would drag us down. We're to concentrate on what is ahead and on the Lord Jesus Christ. These are wonderful, wonderful thoughts that we have. And so we need to remember these things. We need to remember to not forget God. Not forget what he wants us to do. Not forget fellowship. Not forget studying his sacred word and daily devotion, hopefully. To not forget Christian fellowship as we have the opportunity of meeting together, worshiping God in song and study and in prayer. So we're to forget the guilt and the sins. We're to remember to walk with God, to live in his word, to live for him, to know that he has fulfilled it all. He has paid the penalty for everything we've done wrong and he gives to us as a free gift of grace, unmerited favor, salvation, forgiveness, righteousness, justified by faith. May we have a prayer of dedication. Lord, help us to remember the things that are good, all these wonderful things that you've done for us and who you are. Help us to remember you and your so great salvation and your fantastic love and your great power in creating things even as we sang beyond the Milky Way. Thank you for your enormous power and your unfathomable love. We would, Lord, bow before you. We would admit our insignificance in a way, and yet we are significant in your love so much that you came and died for us and rose from the dead. Lord, we would bow before you. We thank you, we praise you, we honor you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.